We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Knicks all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. Welcome, everybody, to the putback on SNY.TV. I'm Ian Begley, SNY NBA reporter. We've got a fun show for you guys today. We've got CP, the franchise, Knicks Fan TV CEO with us. We have Joel Abelson, a man who has worked in basketball for a very long time, two-time head coach in the G League, seven years in the Knicks front office with focus on the Westchester Knicks and with scouting. And we have our friend Matt Spenley, our social media manager, who is going to be looking for your questions and chiming in here and there. But please send your question, send your questions to us. We'll take a look at it. We'll answer them. We're going to start here, though. Knicks, five and six. It's on its face, that doesn't seem like a terrible record, but it feels bad right now for this Knicks team, not going in the right direction because bad loss to the Nets last night. They got blown out. They were not competitive. Tough loss to Boston uh, prior to that, got crushed on defense. And then you go back to the Atlanta game at home, Knicks up big in the first half, lose that lead. And in both that Atlanta game and the Brooklyn game, there was a lot of talk of lack of energy on offense and defense and just lack of fire coming out of locker room. And, and that's when you hear that a few times, it becomes a pattern for a team. That's usually not a good sign. But CP, I want to start here with you. What was your takeaway from the loss, most dis- disappointing aspect for you from that loss? 
Yeah, it was a disappointing loss, man. I mean, they couldn't even mount 90 points, you know, 112 to 85, Knicks losing to the Nets. And right now with the Knicks standard five and six is they're, they're just average. You know, they're, they're mediocre. They're average to, to below average in, in many respects. If you look at offensively, especially last night, it was too much isolation play. The ball was not moving. Give credit to the Nets and Jock Vaughn. They did a great job of uh, concealing that paint and leaving the Knicks outside to, to shoot and daring the Knicks to shoot. And that's were not phased by the Knicks' three-point scoring outburst against the Celtics and the Timberwolves. They dared the, the Knicks to shoot, and uh, the, the Knicks could not shoot well last night at all. And you look at uh, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, you're not getting enough offensive production out of your wings. I thought Jalen Brunson is having a tough time defensively. And then, you know, Julius Randle, Julius had it going last night, but at the same time, the decision-making is one of the key areas that that really hurts this team when you put too much responsibility in his hands. Uh, defensively now, three-point attempts, three-point defense needs to improve. Um, look at their bench. When you look at Derrick Rose, you look at Emmanuel quickly, you're not getting enough production from your backcourt off the bench. Obi Toppin had it going, but only two three-point attempts last night just showed me that the Knicks were not moving the ball well at all last night. This is your best three-point shooter right now. You got to get Obi some more touches. And so, the, the but the worst thing of all, Ian, is, is you said it, is that the energy is just not consistent on a night-to-night basis. And they're not a good enough team to be able to overcome that. They don't have enough talent to overcome lackluster effort on nightly basis. And now it's 11 games into the season. You've already seen a number of games where they've let go of the rope, whether it's, you know, the 25-point lead against the Hawks and they come back and, and get embarrassed. Uh, Cleveland lost. The loss to, well, they almost lost to, to Philadelphia, who was shorthanded, no MB, no Harden. It took a miraculous effort for them to close out that game. You're seeing too many games early in the season where the energy just isn't there. And as you said, that's really not a good sign. Joel, for you, again, you've coached and you've been a scout and a front office member in pro basketball uh, with the Knicks seven years. If you're looking at this team, I guess from a coaching perspective, first of all, how do you handle Julius Randle, Obi Toppin? I mean, what are your thoughts on it? And, and how do you make how do you get the best out of both of those players on the same roster? Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't know what the expectation was coming into the year. Um you know, they, they are about a 500 team. I mean, when you look at the roster, the three best players are Julius Randle, who's been inconsistent his entire career. Um, you have R.J. Barrett, who, you know, I, I personally love R.J. Barrett, but he is kind of who he is. You know, everybody was always talking about when he came when he came to the NBA, oh, he'll improve his shooting. Well, the way you really improve your shooting is, wor- is working at it. And R.J. Barrett has been a worker his entire life. So... To me, I never thought he was going to be like a 42% three-point shooter. Could it go up from like 32 to 36? Sure. But I think he is kind of who he is. He's a player that I like, and he could be, you know, like the third best player on, an, on, a, on a championship team. And then, and then Brunson, I think, is a nice addition. But when you're asking him to, you know, run the show uh, night in and night out, that just hasn't what he's been good at his entire career. So... You know, for me, the expectations are this is kind of what I expected. To answer your question about about Randall, he, he's just That's a difficult player. guy. I was in the I was in the building um, in the first year or two when he was there. I think maybe a year. You know, he's just he's a he's a sensitive guy. Um, he he's a he's a he's a uber talent. But night in and night out, you have to you have to be building him up, and anything can send him, you know, spiraling one way or the other. 
And so I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing just a lot of inconsistencies. If you're, if you're, if you're a Knicks fan, I think the most concerning thing that you're hearing is what you both have touched on, which is just the night in and night out lack of consistency with the effort. And that is not a Tom Thibodeau coached team. That's not a hallmark of what they do. Uh, it's the opposite of that. So that would be my big concern um, moving forward with, with, with this group. Joe, one thing there, when you talk about the effort, I was going to ask you about that anyway, but now I'll ask you, is that players, is that on the coaching staff? Is it on Thibodeau? I mean, if you're a, a fan or a reporter outside looking in, you hear effort, you, you probably shake your head saying that's the one thing you could control. So w- where does that fall in terms of who, who that's on, who's responsible for that? Well, it's a great, it's a great question for like society as a whole, right? It's, it's <laughs> like, you know, this bad thing is happening, you know, whose fault is it? Well, the first thing that people need to do um, is look upon themselves. Um, you know, if, if, if you're not giving an effort and you're getting paid anywhere between, let's call it a million and $30 million a year to go out and play basketball, you know, I, I think the, the base expectation should be that we're going to get your best every night. And, you know, people have things that happen in their lives. Not every night's going to be great. You're not going to play great every night. You might not even give your best effort every night, but the base expectation should be from the organization, from the top of the organization is we want guys who can play uh, at a high level effort-wise every night. And, you know, that, that would just be like, one of the the non-negotiable pillars of the organization. Obviously, every all the other components of it, your coach, your coaching staff, your trainer, all the way down, all of those people contribute to the product. And I think a, a head coach especially can make a really big difference. I think that there are probably, I think there are probably five, five to seven head coaches in the NBA that really bring out the best in, in their group. And then there are five to seven coaches in the NBA that are, that shouldn't be head coaches in the NBA and are subpar. <laughs> I think the rest are basically interchangeable. Okay. I like my first, my first point was what really was the expectation was it from this group? You know, the non-negotiables like we talked about should be effort. So if you're not getting your best effort, if you're not, if you're not getting their best effort every night, then that's an issue. But like the 500 record to me is about in line. I, yeah, I think it's the way they've lost some of these games, Joel and CP, and it's not so much the record. I would agree with you, Joel, five and six is kind of what you'd expect, but it's it's the way these games have been lost. And, and CP, uh, I'm going to pivot to you, and I just want to ask you about Jalen Brunson. Uh, your thoughts on it, like last night against the Nets, he did not have a strong game. Uh, but Joel mentioned that he's, you know, hasn't been asked to be the head of the snake night in and night out to run an offense, lead an offense night in and night out. Uh, how do you feel about his performance thus far on the whole? Yeah. Overall, through 11 games, I feel good about it. You know, 19 and 7 on the year. He's had a career high in assists, career high in assist percentage. And as you said, this is this is new territory for him. This is his first time really being that lead guard for a team that that desperately needs it. And considering where the Knicks have been over the last 10 years or so, I think he's been playing pretty well. Now, 
Uh, conversely, he has no Luka Doncic here. He has no superstar savant that he can just pass the ball off to, and, and that person can be the one-man offense, whether it's scoring or facilitating. So while I think Brunson has done a good job in, in getting his shots and even facilitating, there's still certain points where he has to figure out when to get other guys going and get them into a rhythm and when to take his shots. Because I felt like, especially in crunch time in the, in the Nets game, well, not really crunch time, but in, late in the second half, he was hunting his shots more than really getting other guys going in in rhythm and only finishing the game with three assists. They're going to need more from him as a playmaker, and, and he has to figure that out when to shoot and when to pass. But also I think Tibbs has to look into his schemes and say, are we getting the, are we allowing Brunson to, to really accentuate on his strengths while also getting other guys involved? But overall, I've been happy with, uh, with where Brunson has been offensively. Defensively is where things are getting dicey. You know, the perimeter defense is very suspect. Curtis Sumner really gave him a fit last night. Sumner being a 6'4 guard really out-hustled him and outworked him. So Brunson defensively has to work a little bit harder. And again, Tim schematically has to figure out ways to kind of protect him because when things start breaking down on the perimeter and you're forcing this team to rotate and, and overcommit and overhelp, that's where the three-point breakdowns happen, where guys are getting wide-open threes. And so – it starts in the perimeter where things are breaking down. I think Brunson really has to tighten up in, in that regard. Yeah, CP, you mentioned Sumner. Just a quick correction, Edmund Sumner, who Edmund. had a great night last night against the Knicks. Curtis Sumner, is that that was that old UVA guy? I'm trying to. I was trying to place that name. Um, but anyway, uh, as an, uh, I don't want to digress here too much because I think we have a fan question here, and Matt Spenley is gonna gonna jump in and, and let us know what the fan wants to know. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And maybe not. So I'm going to continue <laughs> oh, on. Ian. Oh, yes. Yes, go. Matt. Sorry. Uh, first question. Got to get the mic off mute. We're learning. It's a little process, okay? Andrew Abraham asks, would the Knicks trade Julius Randle since his trade value is at least better than it was last year? Um, I, I can say that the Knicks had conversations with at least one team prior to the draft, and there was a feeling that, you know, uh, there was a, at least momentum towards getting something done. Um, it, obviously, it didn't happen, right? But I, but I think I say that to say, I don't. I can't tell you where his value is compared to at the end of last season. Uh, I would assume that's it's a little bit elevated, but I don't know how much teams are uh, evaluating a player like Randall on a game by game basis. When you talk about 
trading for him and and bringing him on. Uh, but I, I can't see anything drastic happening uh, with Julius Randle, even at the trade deadline, unless the Knicks are desperate. There yeah. must become a desperate group where, you know, you're I don't know, 10 games under and, uh, you know, ownership, James Dolan, he wants to see the results that he's not seeing. So you feel like you have to make a drastic move to turn things around. Maybe in that scenario, you could see Randall being involved in a trade, but I, I don't think that you the Knicks would just get off of Randall just to get off of him at this point. Uh, I think it would have to be a, a significant, excuse me, a specific circumstance like the one I described. Uh, Joel, question for you based on that, you know, the trade value of a player. Is it something that if teams are looking to trade for a player, are they looking at like a, a one game or five game samples and saying, hey, he, he actually shot it better than he has over the course of his career. So now we're more excited. Or do teams take a broader view? I think always t- teams take a broader view. And I think it, it, it makes it challenging. I think even when you look at what happened this offseason with the Knicks, you know, it's, it's do you want to go out and get a Donovan Mitchell and at what price? And what play are you actually getting back? Because the Donovan Mitchell that we have seen this year is not the same Donovan Mitchell, specifically on the defensive end, that we saw in Utah. Let's call it like the last season and a half, two seasons. Um, so you have, to, you have to look at the whole picture. And some teams can, can overdo it with, with what they're considering. Oh, in 2019, he shot 38%. Now it's like, okay. But, but you, don't, you certainly don't look at the last five, 10 games and make a judgment based on that. And the other thing is, how does that player fit with what we do? and what we have and what we'd have to give up and what our team would look like once we give that player up or those picks or whatever we're giving up to acquire that player. You know, for me to answer the question that was asked you, which I think you're dead right about is, you know, who's trading for Julius Randle to think that, that he's the guy that get them over the top. I mean, you can go team by team. I don't think there's one team that is like, you know, we're Julius Randle away from, you know, being in the conference finals. You know, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Joel hit it on the head. When any team that's going to look into trading for Julius Randle has to assess the fit and, and the, the opportunity cost, what they're giving up, and so on. And it's hard to figure out what team would go out there and trust that they're getting a good return on their investment. Remember, Julius's extension has just kicked in. He's got four years left on his deal, the fourth year being a player option. And so when you look at last night's stats, you look at 24 points, 11 rebounds, 7 to 15 shooting, 4 of 8 from the field. Those are good numbers offensively. But what he gives you back on the defensive end and the effort, it's it's almost a a neutral or a negative in in certain respects. And so it's very hard to gauge what a trade market for Julius Randle would look like. A a lot of fans want to open up that spot for Obi Toppin, but I think the Knicks are in a very tough spot. And as Ian said, I don't see a Julius Randle trade happening without the Knicks getting desperate and and attaching draft capital to a a play like that. So they're in a tricky spot, and Leon Rose has some work to do. Yeah, I think big picture sense on trades, uh, assume that there's going to be something that changes roster, no matter where the Knicks are um, at the deadline, maybe even before the draft. Because you look at it big picture sense, we've talked about in the past, you've got Kobe Pop, you've got quickly two young players that you like, they're going to be extension eligible, and you already have money committed to RJ Barrett, to Julius Randle, <clears throat> and to Jalen Brunson, excuse me. 
So the Knicks, I think, could. It's possible to also extend top end quickly and then deal with the finances from my perspective. They're looking at this thing and they're wondering, are they going to extend both of these guys? And if not, would they look to move one of these guys because they can't not extend both coming into the seats or, or uh, keeping an eye on when they snake prospect? I think there's, there's going to be a move at some point. And, and teams are one day with. Well, well, I'll say this on, on quickly. We'll ask Joel on that. Yeah, go ahead, CP. Oh, I, I was just saying on the on the quickly front. I mean, just on the way he's playing right now in year three, I, I'd be hard pressed to make a commitment to him. I mean, he was drafted here and brought in here to to be a solid three point shooter. Shot forty close to forty percent from from the three in his rookie year. He's now down to twenty five percent right now this year. His defense has been good. Don't get me wrong. Quickly's defense has been improved, and he's played well on the defensive end. But I just think he doesn't have a real defined role coming off the bench right now. We were looking for him to be more of an instant offense coming off of that bench, but he seems to be very tentative in his decision-making. Should he pass it? Should he shoot? Kind of over-dribbling in some regards. So we have to figure out how to get quickly his shots. Can he play more of an off-ball role and allow Derrick Rose to be more of a facilitator on that second unit? It's a little bit tricky right now because, as I said in the beginning, that that backcourt off the bench just hasn't been productive. And right now, quickly, who's – you know, shooting 33% overall and even 78% from the charity stripe. He's just not getting it done on the offensive side of things. How, how do you see, Joel, so far uh, quickly and, and top in? And obviously the top in is, is a topic that is a hot button for Nick fans. But do, have you seen – let's start – let's go specific with Obi Toppin. Here we are, year three. How do you evaluate him? Listen, I think he's um, – I think he's 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 – exceeded expectations, honestly. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy who, who I think will, will continue to play better with more opportunity. And I think you've seen that over time. Um, I, you know, to what both of you have already alluded to and said, it's, it's what, what, what is, what is really the future of Randall on this team? And, and you can, you can understand why Nick fans want to see more of Obi Toppin. Um, he's the one guy that, you know, you hear also that there's real interest in around the league. You know, when, when, you, when you talk about, okay, you know, Knicks are attached to X star, what do they give up? That's the first name you hear every time. And there's a reason for that. Um, so, you know, he, 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 I think, is going to continue to play himself onto the court. Uh, and, and, and as a coach and as an organization, that's kind of what you want. And CP, for you, if that happens, Obi continues to play himself onto the court. Do you think the logical move is fewer minutes for Chris Randall? Do you think it's more top end Randall lineups? How do you create that time for top end? I think it's the only way. They they have to figure out how to throttle Julius's minutes. It's tough because again, look at a night like last night. He scores twenty four and ten, and in that starting unit that was struggling to score with R.J. Barrett struggling at times, Jalen Brunson as well. You need Julius Randle's offense, but with Obi Toppin, his efficiency from three off the bench, his ability to play some solid defense. He had four steals in the other game uh, uh, the other night against the Timberwolves. 
he needs his minutes as well. What I've encouraged by is that the fact that Tom Thibodeau has been going to those two guys in the front court uh, for extended minutes over the past few games, especially since Mitchell Robinson has been injured. But what happens when Mitchell Robinson comes back? We'll have to see how that works out because Tibbs is a guy, he's priding himself in, in protecting the paint. The way the Knicks are, are playing defense right now, that's where he wants to go. They've been a top team in terms of opponents' points in the paint, and, and that's Tibbs' calling card. You even see Jericho Sims in the starting lineup now instead of Isaiah Hartenstein. So it's Tibbs going on that defensive line. I think it, it's got to be a little bit less minutes for Julius Randle, but it's a tough call, again, when you also need Randle's uh, offense. So they're, they're in a tough spot. We're going to hit a fan question next, but I just want to say I think it's it's easy. It's kind of low-hanging fruit to hit Tom Thibodeau and to hit Julius Randle after a loss like the loss in Brooklyn. But I, you have to also look at the rest of the team, right, Cam Reddish? I Definitely, think yeah. two rebounds in, in the, the last two games and also quickly and shot it great. Uh, RJ at the rim. You know, there was there was many different aspects here that led to the next. Uh, I think it's more than just Randle and Thibodeau. Oh, so just dig a little deeper if you're if you're a Nick fan and you're upset about those two. <laughs> I'm gonna go and go back to Joel because the topic of uh, Top and Randall is fascinating to me. Uh, how how would you, if you're in the room, if you're coaching, I should say, if you're, if you're making decisions as a coach, how do you get Obi Top in more minutes given the this roster and its current constitution? Well, look, I, I think at some point, I think one of one of Tibbs. You know, I, I actually think he's gotten better at it, but one of his, you know, perceived weaknesses is just his lack of imagination and creativity. To me, they both can play together and they both should be playing together. Um, I wanted to comment on one thing you just said about it's the roster and, you know, we can blame Randall and Thibodeau for last night, but that's not really fair. I think that the the real issue, and I think when you're when you're talking about Nick fans and and their point should be, is this is the third year of this. So this isn't one specific instance. You know, the Brunson thing, let's see how Brunson flourishes as the guy who has the ball for 82 games and is running the office for offense for 82 games. It's been hit or miss so far, 12 games in or whatever we are, or 13 games. Um, but let's see how it goes. This is year three of the Tibbs-Randall experience. And you can understand the frustration because there is a ceiling here. You know, the ceiling is the playoffs – out in the first round, the garden's rocking, the whole thing. Um, Obi Toppin at some point is going to get an opportunity. You know, we always used to say as a coach, especially in the minor leagues, but it's the same in the NBA. It's like, all you want to do is complain about your minutes, the guys who are behind the starters or whatever. Just make sure you're ready when the opportunity comes because the opportunity will definitely come at some point in the season. And especially in the NBA, you know, after about, after about 20 games, I, I don't – I'd like stop watching the NBA until like game 70 because it's like, you know, everybody's resting here, this and that, and you can kind of like, you know, kind of tune in and kind of get what you need in little spurts. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think all of it's going to work itself out this year. Um, and I can understand the frustration from Nick fans. Uh, you know, year after year, it's the same kind of thing. And honestly – you know, I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but honestly, it's organizational malpractice that this is year, let's call it 20, of not sustained success in the New York City market. It just is. There's no other way around it. It's the, you know, it doesn't happen with the Rangers 
And there's no other main major city that has struggled to have success for 20 years in any of the top three major sports, any of the top four major sports in, in, in the sports landscape. And so at some point, the finger needs to be pointed where the finger needs to be pointed. Yeah. One, now, one, question, Joel, I, one question I would ask Joe ahead, is on the topic of, of Tibbs and being innovative, what would you think about the prospect of moving a, a top into a three Sort of like what J.B. Bickerstaff did with Lowry Marketing in Cleveland last year. He had he had a big front court marketing, uh, a Mobley and and Jared Allen. What would you think about moving Obi to the three, and especially defensively, with then having you know Julius Randle at the four, and then either a Sims, a Mitchell, or, or Hartenstein at the five? Yeah, I mean, I love that. I love I love creativity. You see the Bucks do it right with Giannis, Lopez, and uh, Bobby Portis, right? And th- and they did that a lot last year. Listen. You can always try things, and you should. And you should want your best players. You should want to put your best players in the best position to succeed. And if there's a guy like Obi Toppin, who everybody kind of feels should be playing more, I think we try and get him spot minutes at the three. We can, we can, we can move Randall to the five. I mean, positionless basketball is kind of where we are. I mean, you can call Randall the five. You can call, you can call Toppin the five. Um, you know. Uh, you know, the Nets last year had Bruce Brown playing the five. He's, what is he, 6'4"? So, right. I mean, none of it really matters. I would find Obi Toppin more minutes. And I think ultimately they're going to as the season progresses. Joel, what you hit on earlier, too, you talked about the last 20 years and just the Knicks not having success when they've had so many uh, – the resources to do so, we could have a three-hour conversation about that. But I'm wondering if you could sum up maybe in, in two sentences. Uh, your time there – uh, not a ton of winning. What do you think held the organization back? Uh, there's many components uh, of of why the Knicks have struggled. Uh, you know, I, in any organization, you should always look at the top. You know, coaches get fired, then GMs get fired. Owners never get fired. I understand why owners never get fired. They shouldn't get fired. But, you know, there's a reason why Sacramento has struggled year after year after year after year. Uh They've had a lot of GMs and a lot of coaches. The same could be said about the Knicks, um, except the Knicks have every opportunity to, you know, if, you, if you're a star player and you're a guy looking to start his own thing, let's talk, let's just talk about Kevin Durant. You're looking, Kevin Durant, to leave the Warriors where you're not getting the, the credit that you think you deserve based on joining a historic team. But let's say you're, you're looking to start your own thing and capture the city to capture a city in America that is, that is starving for excellence. I I mean, it's remarkable to me that they've never been able to build a, a winner in New York. It starts at the top and he hires the wrong people. I was there for Phil Jackson, Steve Mills, and I was there for the beginning of Leon Rose. I like Leon Rose. I think he's by far the most qualified and going to do the best job of those three. I like Phil Jackson a lot. I like Steve Mills. Everybody who's there, they're all nice guys, et cetera. Steve Mills was the most incompetent person I've ever worked with uh, at any level. And that's saying something because I've worked with (laughs) some doozies in the minor leagues, et cetera. Great guy, not a good manager. And there was no chance of success. And so, you know, um, we can get into that more uh, later or another time or whatever. But, you know, it's, it's, you can spin it any way you want to spin it. The Garden, when the Knicks were in the playoffs two years ago, 
is a sight to behold. And it's, mm. and it's like, you know, players around the league, they notice that. You don't think players want to be a part of that? You know, the, it's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's organizational malpractice year after year after year and regime after regime after regime. That's it. There's no way to spin it. Well, uh, thank you, Joel, for your, for your insight. I would say quickly, Steve Mills, just my opinion, I give him credit for taking a big swing uh, where others have not taken a big swing. Obviously, he didn't. He struck out, but he took the big swing. So he put it on the table. Didn't work out, but I give him credit there. I want to ask you guys a yes or no question quickly. Kyrie Irving, CP, will he be back with the Nets? Yes or no? I would say yes. You know, after meeting with the commissioner, Adam Silver, uh, yesterday, I, th- I think he ultimately will satisfy the requirements and come back. And, and uh, you know, the, the Nets are playing well. Net, Nets are playing well. I thought defensively they were impressive last night. They're rally, rallying behind Kevin Durant, but they do need Kyrie Irving to have some sort of success when it comes to even making the playoffs and making a run. So uh, I think he ultimately will be back. Joel, Kyrie, yes or no, back with the Nets? Uh, I hope he's not back with the Nets. Uh, my my, uh, my question to all Nets fans and net and, and the top of the Nets organization, and this has been covered in the national media many many times. But what exactly are you going to accomplish with Kyrie uh, at the you know back on your team? I mean, he has proven since the 2016. Um, you know, he he hit one of the biggest shots in the NBA history, maybe the biggest shot in the NBA Finals history. He's been dining out on that since that shot. What has he done that can that has contributed to winning? Okay, that's the first question you have to ask yourself. And he canvassed the league. There was nothing for him. He picked up his option. But now this is like, you know, year whatever of him just sabotaging his team. And for whatever reason, whether he whether he's making solid points or he's not, I'm a, I'm a Jewish person. And by the way, New York is there's a lot of Jews there. I know you're Jew, uh, Jewish, uh, Ian, um, you know, whatever. But that's not really the question, and that's not important. I actually agree with CP. I do actually think he'll be back. But the question that fans should be asking the the Nets organization is why? Why would you take him back? You can see what they do when he's removed from the equation for five games or whatever it's been. I mean, they're way better defensively. The ball moves better. And they just play basketball. And that's what it's about. Well, I appreciate your perspective, fellas. That's going to do it for us. I'll just say quickly on Kyrie Irving, I don't think press conferences are are a good place to have the discussions (laughs) that we've been having with Kyrie Irving. And I also say, uh, yes, I am Jewish. Uh, I don't know Kyrie that well at all, but I'd be willing to risk my credibility to say that I don't think Kyrie Irving hates Jewish people. And uh, he made mistakes, but I hope at the end of the day this can all be something that brings us together as opposed to dividing us. That'll do it for us this week. And we will hopefully see you guys sometime soon. Uh, Keep in touch with us, sny.tv. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.